Who is that one person that you have? That's what we've been talking about over these last several weeks. And uh, so today I want to talk about the importance of one. The importance of you being the one person who will go after that one who's out there today. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, we'll look there in a minute. Let's pray before we jump in, okay? Father, as we turn in your word now and we open the, the word of life, we pray you'd speak to us in a way that will not only challenge us and God not only convict us, but Lord, that you give us what we need to compel us to move out into the world and to be a light for you, to be careful every day, to look for an opportunity to be a witness for Christ in our words and the way we live. Lord, to be an encourager to someone who doesn't know the Lord, to help lift them up and, and pick them up but more than anything, to point them toward Jesus. So help us, Lord, to see that today, the importance of one. It's in Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen. Pratt is a small town in central Kansas, south central Kansas, actually. It isn't very large or very impressive. Back in 2010, the census said there were only about 6,800 people that lived there in Pratt, Kansas. As far as towns go, it's just another small stop on the old Kansas-Nebraska Railway, later came to be known as the Rock Island and Pacific Railway. Uh, it's just a small rail town, a small rail town, and really isn't much different from all the other small ones that are just along that same route on that line. But this town is important. Well, at least it is to me anyway. I've never been to Pratt, Kansas. Never been there. Matter of fact, I've never even been to Kansas uh, for that part. But I am thankful for one person in particular who was raised in Pratt. She was a little lady who didn't stand over five feet tall. I think she was about four foot ten or four foot eleven. But she was a spiritual giant in my life. It was January the 24th. January 24th, 1922, when a little lady named Marjorie Claudine Beanie was born in Pratt, Kansas. At the age, I'm going to try to do this without crying. I told Jan, I'm going to be hard to do this. At the age of 21... She married a military man, a man named George Farrar, and he was a loud, obnoxious, and boisterous young man. Imagine that, one of those being around, right? But he was an airman who came into Kansas and swept her off her feet. He was from Humboldt, Illinois, up in the central part of the state. The two of them eventually found themselves finishing Lieutenant Colonel George Farrar's military career at Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier City, Louisiana. And so they lived on a little street called Wilton Place. Wilton Place, up there in North Shreveport. And when my parents and I moved to Shreveport in 1980, she was one of the first people that I ever met. My mother started taking me to Trinity Heights Baptist Church because Miss Beanie had invited us to come. That's what we called her. We called her Miss Beanie. And Miss Farrar was in charge of the children's church there in the, in the, in the church. It was in 1982 that Miss Farrar had been building into my life over the previous two years. She'd been teaching me Sunday after Sunday all the Bible stories, and it was in 1982 when she sat me down one-on-one, one one with one, and she talked to me about Jesus, and she led me to pray, to ask Christ into my life. Hmm. She personally witnessed to me and led me in a prayer of faith. Hmm. She started, uh, she didn't stop there. <laughs> she started there. She started taking me on these little discipleship courses, little small courses that she'd gotten from Child Evangelism Fellowship. And every week she would meet with me and we would go through them and she'd teach me more and more about Jesus. 
more and more about Jesus. In the summertime, she made sure I got to vacation Bible school because my mama worked full-time, daddy worked full-time, and they couldn't take me because it was during the mornings. And so she and Colonel George would come and pick me up in their big van. It wasn't just me. They had a, a load of us in that van. They had with them good times vans. Y'all know what those are? <laughs> so they had a good time. We had a good time in a good time van. It was carpeted, had the curtains in the windows. I think it was about four different colors. Had shag carpet. You know, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So we went to church in the good time van and went to vacation Bible school and had a good time. But eventually, when I outgrew children's activities and I was no longer in the children's church, she wasn't through with me. Not only did she make sure I continued to grow, but she invested in me in ministry. When I was in junior high and then later in high school, she actually got me and another guy named John Rennie, one of my friends in the youth group. And she got the two of us to come help her in the summertime do backyard Bible clubs on Wilton Place there in her neighborhood. She'd have kids over to her house, and she'd have us just there as crowd control, I think. But we'd also tell the Bible story. She'd give us a Bible story, and she'd say, tomorrow you're telling the story of Zacchaeus, or you're teaching the, the story of the... The lame man, Jesus healed at, you know, at, at, the, at, the, at the pool. So every day we had a story, you know, we were supposed to be sharing with the children. So she, she helped us get involved in ministry. In the late 90s, Colonel Farrar had basically dementia-like, Alzheimer's-like condition that developed. And he couldn't really function anymore. And she was getting too old to take care of him. So she and Colonel Farrar moved to Mattoon, Illinois. And uh, their family took care of them up there. That's where their, a couple of their boys were living. He passed away in 2002, and she followed him to heaven in 2010. One of the greatest thoughts. Hmm. One of the greatest thoughts I will ever cherish in my life is knowing that my name is written in the back of her Bible, and that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hmm. So her story reminds me of this scripture. Would you look with me? I'll try to contain myself. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Her life and what she did for me reminds me of this story that Jesus told. He told a parable. He told a number of parables about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and how they come on earth. And this particular story sounds like a really simple one, and it sounds almost kind of um, weird. Like, why would Jesus tell this kind of strange story in the middle of this gospel? But Matthew and Luke both record a number of stories, little parables like this Jesus told. And in particular, in Matthew's gospel, we find a couple of very closely related parables about a person's commitment to God and their commitment to do God's kingdom work. And that's what this parable in verse 45 is about. Look at this. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Woo! What's that? What's this about? You know, why is Jesus talking about this man, this merchant, who's so worried about buying a pearl? And matter of fact, so worried about it that he gives everything that he has to get it. Well, Jesus tells this parable in their day because it was something they could really wrap their heart and mind around. It, it kind of loses impact with us a little because we've had something called scuba gear that have been invented. In our day, we have things, uh, these air tanks that people strap on their backs and scuba gear, and so they can go down into the great depths in the ocean 
and locate these massive pearls in these large, huge oysters and clams, and they can bring them back and they can sell them on the market. It's not a big deal, but in their day, when you got a hold of a big pearl, that was a big deal because it meant somebody risked their life to go find it. A pearl diver would have to go down deep sometimes and hold their breath for a long period of time and not being able to see very well underwater because they didn't have modern masks and things like we do, gear like we do. And so they would find this pearl or locate this clam or this oyster and bring it to the surface and open it and get the pearl out. And so these pearls were prized possessions. They were something that were very important. They were very, very precious. He said a merchant, a businessman, who saw one that he thought was the most magnificent he'd ever seen said, I'm willing to give everything for it. I'll give everything I own to buy that pearl because I know how precious that one pearl is. I think the, per- the merchant was Mrs. Farrar. I think she was willing to risk it all and to give it all every day because she looked all around her in her neighborhood and in our community and she saw precious pearls in oysters. She saw these diamonds in the rough. She saw me, and she saw Carolyn Lahan, and she saw uh, Wes Wynn, and she saw John Rennie, and she saw, just keep naming kids. I mean, she won so many kids to Jesus. The back of her Bible was full of names of children that she won to Christ through the years because she saw precious pearls that God wanted for his own, and she was willing to give everything to see that they were won, that they were redeemed, that they were bought back. And so I think that's what Jesus is telling this parable for. So the question for us is, what about us? What about you? (laughs) What about me? Do we have that one, that one pearl that we're looking for? That one person that needs to be in God's treasure box. And we're willing to give anything and everything to see that that person comes to know Jesus. So it then takes us to another story because there's somebody in the Bible that lived this out. I hope you'll turn me into the book of John now. I told you we'd go to John. We'll spend the rest of our time the next few minutes in the book of John. John chapter 1, we meet a guy named Philip, and this is about verse 43. John 1, verse 43. We meet a fellow named Philip. And by the way, Philip is, is uh, just maybe like any other guy, just kind of an ordinary guy. He lived in a, a city or a town called Bethsaida. It's the town where uh, Peter and Andrew lived. And uh, Peter and Andrew had met Jesus in, in like fashion. Andrew came and got Simon one day and said, Simon, you've got to come meet this guy. I think we found him. And Philip had the exact same thought from his friend Nathaniel. Look at this uh, here, John 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. We have found him. Now, I want you to notice one thing about Philip first off that helps me and helps ought to help you too as we think about that one that God is leading us to be an influence in their life and to to reach out to them. Uh, Let me give you three words today, and they're all going to be found right here in these next few verses, but the first one is right here, right off the bat. The first word is intentional. Intentional. I really believe in this moment that Philip is being intentional with Nathaniel about something that has gripped his life, that has changed his mind and his heart and everything he knows. And he intentionally seeks out Nathaniel. He doesn't just stumble upon him necessarily. He actually thinks about him and says, I got to go tell him. 
and he goes after him and he finds him. So the first thing we need to remember is this. God wants us every day to be in the business of seeking out one person with intentionality. When the diver goes down looking for a pearl, he intentionally is looking for something. He's finding an oyster, and he knows in the oyster is going to be, hopefully, a pearl. Y'all, we have to intentionally look for opportunities during the day and during the week to find that one that God knows we need to influence, we need to love, we need to encourage, we need, most of all, to share Christ with. And so we have to be intentional about it. There's really, there's three illustrations Jesus gave about this. Uh, he, he did this in Luke chapter 15. He talked about one compassionate shepherd who pursued one lost sheep. Out of a hundred, one of them got lost, and that compassionate shepherd went after him. He then told about one concerned woman who, when she lost one of her beautiful silver coins, searched the entire house. She scoured it from top to bottom until she found that one silver coin. She had nine others, but she knew there was one that was lost. He also then tells about one caring father who had one lost son who was out in the world, who was worldly, who was away from God, who didn't have a right relationship with God, and that one father was at home every day praying for his son, pleading with the Father in heaven. God, would you reach out to him? Father, would you send someone to him? God, would you not let him rest and not let him be happy and not let him be whole until he's back in your arms? And so Jesus tells these stories because he wants us to understand there is someone that he wants us to go to. We are the one who can reach that one who he has for us. So, so why do we need to be intentional? I guess that's really a good question to ask. Why does God really want us to be intentional? Can't we just kind of wander through our day and, you know, kind of hope somebody stumbles in our path? No. There's a reason why we need to intentionally be looking for someone who doesn't know the Lord. And that's simply this. Think about this. What makes a person lost to begin with? What made that sheep lost? Really, that's actually the best illustration to use right here. What made that sheep lost? You know what Isaiah 53, 6 says about sheep and about people? Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All we, just like sheep, have gone astray. That means we've wandered off. And then it says this. We've turned everyone into his own way. Listen to that. He's defining for us what it means to go astray. We've turned to our own way. You know, that's what it means to be lost. That's what it means to be lost. You've turned in this life away from God's way to follow your own way. To follow your own way. That's really what it means to be lost. Listen, sin is what makes a person separated from God. And sin isn't just doing wrong things. That is sinful, by the way. Sin is doing something that's wrong, but that's not just what sin is. It's not just doing something wrong. It's about being wrong. <laughs> sin is being wrong. It's being wrong before a holy God. Uh, uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly uses this illustration. He says it's like a bird with clipped wings. Some of y'all probably got chickens at the house. And if you clip the wings on the chickens, you don't have to worry about them flying off. If you want to keep them close, you know, they're not going, they can't fly. Of course, if you get them fat enough, they won't fly either anyway, right? Uh, that's your hopes, probably, to fatten them up good. But, but if you had a, a, another bird in the cage in your home and you didn't want it to fly away, maybe you'd clip certain feathers or wings to keep the bird from flying. And he said, in a sense, that's what sin does. It clips our wings. God's got a purpose for us, an intention for our life. But when we sin against God, when we turn to our own way, it clips our wings and we cannot fulfill the purpose for which we've been created. We can't accomplish what God really intended us to do. 
because we've turned to our own way. So sin is not just doing bad things, even though it is sin, but sin is also doing our own things. Listen to that. Sin is doing our own things. When we refuse to accept life on God's terms, we're incapable of being right with God. So it means this. It means that sin is when I say to God, God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way because I know what's best for me. The problem with that is I didn't make this world. I'm not the creator. I didn't even create me. He did. So he knows me better than I know myself, and he certainly knows this world better than I do. Do you know that there really are three uh, things that affect us, that sin does to affect us negatively? There's really, if you want to get down to it, sin affects a person in three ways in complete fashion. First of all, it affects us relationally. Sin disrupts all of our relations, all of our relationships. It disrupts a relationship with God. We can't walk with God when we're living a sinful life. I can't walk with my spouse. I can't know her and her know me and us getting along when I'm uh, living a sinful life, a a self-centered, self-oriented, self-fulfilling life. If I'm only worried about me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 I I can't be in fellowship with somebody else, much less a holy God. You know, sin has that, that way. It has that way of turning us to our own way. But secondly, not only relationships, but it also deteriorates our experiences in life. It deteriorates the experiences of life. You think about it, the more involved in sin you get, the more polluted your thinking gets, the more corrupt your lifestyle gets. And so the things that God intended for you to enjoy, the experiences of life He wanted you to have that were fulfilling and meaningful, become now empty, and they become dark. And they become unfulfilling in every way. And you hunger for more and more. So sin leads you further away from your relationships and it ruins your experiences. But there's a third thing that sin will do. And sin has this way, ultimately, of ruining us eternally. It, 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 it ends us in a, in a destination and a destiny that is away from God, away from our friends, away from our family, away from anything good that we know. Sin will lead us to a real place called hell. Total separation from God. Total separation from everyone we love. In total darkness. Separation from the light. And so, that's why you and I have to be intentional. That's why we have to be intentional because there are people who are lost. And this is where they are. And that's what they're struggling with. They're doomed to a destiny and eternity apart from God and we need to be intentional to find them. So look at, go back to our, our story and look what Philip does. I, I like what Philip says next in verse 45. And it helps us with the second thing to think about. Philip says, we have found him. And then look what he says. Of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now what's he doing? I really like what Philip does because he points Nathaniel to the scripture. He points him to the Bible. He says, now they didn't have the, the Bible like this yet, okay. They had the Old Testament. That was their Bible. And so uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, the Old Testament's told us all about him. The, the, the scriptures, they've been telling us, listen, Moses talked about this prophet who was going to come after him. We found him. We have found that prophet. 
the, the, the prophets have been telling us all through their writings that there would come one. There would come one who, he would, who would fulfill God's plan, the Messiah. We found him. We really believe we have him. We know who he is, and he gives him by name. He gives the historical context for Christ's life. He says he's a real man. God has sent his man, his son, to this earth. And he tells where he's from and who his earthly father was, you know. And so he puts it in context where he can understand this is a real man. This is not only a real man, this is the real deal. This is the one that we've known about and been told about for thousands of years, and he's here. And so he gives them that account. He helps them to understand that. So we need to learn, to, like, like Philip, to share the gospel with accountability. And the first point of accountability, the first method of accountability is that I need to be accountable with God's Word. I need to know what the Bible says about Jesus. I need to know some, enough about Christ from the Scriptures that I can tell somebody uh, who Jesus is. And not only that, I can even share some Scriptures with them. And so it really makes me think about the power of God's Word. I mean, if you think about this, uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says this, that the gospel is the power of God, listen to this, unto salvation. So until someone hears the Word of God, until they hear the good news from God Himself through His Word, they, they're not going to be changed. So while my testimony is very important, it's not enough. People need to hear the truth of God's Word. They need to know that we're sinners. They need to know Romans 3.23, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They need to know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They need to hear His Word. They need to know, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, God's Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I love what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 14, too. He says it's living. It's a living Word, a living Word. Listen, my Word may point somebody toward God, but His Word will point them toward eternal life, will give them eternal life. The disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, we can't depart from you. Where else are we going to go to get the words of life? Where else are we going to go? Jesus, you're the source of life. We need your word. We need your truth. We need you. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need to remember that. People need to hear the word. They need to hear the scripture. So what does that mean? It means that I have to become a student. And I'm not talking about being a nerd. I don't like people to call me a nerd. You know, I got my glasses, and everybody said, Brother Matt, you look really studious. That was a polite way of saying, you're a nerd, you know. Um, I, I, that's not politically correct. I'm sorry, but, you know. But here's the truth. We do have to become students, right? We do need to study. And, and, the, and the, the Apostle Paul told this to young Timothy. He, he said, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed because you're correctly teaching the word of truth. You know, in other words, read the scriptures. Think on them. Study them. That's why Sunday school class is a great place to get plugged in. You've got to be in Sunday school because we've got some great teachers in our church who can help you learn the Bible, help you learn the stories, help you learn the scriptures. You, you, you'll know enough just from being in Sunday school. You'll know enough to tell somebody how to be saved. Yeah, over time, it won't take long. You'll know enough of the Bible. Hey, look, if you learn John 3, 16, you've got enough right there to tell them how to be saved. I mean, you do. You do. It's, it's right there. It's not hard. The, the Roman road, about three or four or five verses you can learn from Romans. Hey, 
You learn them, you can tell somebody, this is how to be a Christian. This is how to know Christ. This is how to be saved. So we have to learn just those simple things to help us in that. And we know that as we learn the Word, as we know God's Word, His Word gives people life. I think about that. Christ spoke all of creation into existence by His Word. Christ looked at a little girl and by His Word raised her to life. Christ looked at a tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth! And the Bible says, he who was dead came forth. I like that, was dead. (laughs) You know, I'm looking forward to the one day when Jesus comes through the eastern sky and he shouts, and by the word of his power, our enemies are defeated and we return to him with glory. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Ooh, mercy, it's going to be good, y'all. Be better than Southern Classic, I'm telling you. It's hard to beat that. Hard to beat that. All right. But there's one other thing I want to mention real quick about, about Philip. That's me doing that. I'm sorry, I keep moving my jacket. It's my fault. But no, notice this right here in, in verse 45, in verse 46. I'm sorry, verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So Philip had another tactic. It wasn't just to tell him about from the scriptures that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that this Jesus is, is, is him. And, he, and the scripture was the first step. But the second step he used, second method, was his own life and bringing his friend with him. He invited him to come and see. Now today, we can't take people to physically meet Jesus like Philip could with Nathaniel. Philip actually took him down the road to meet with Jesus. You know, they got that opportunity. And if you keep reading the passage, you'll see where Jesus and Nathaniel have a conversation. So he got that. But we, people, we can't do that for people today. But what we can do is this. We can let people see Jesus where? In us. In the way we live. So we can invite people to watch our life. Now here's where real accountability comes into play. It is difficult to want to invite someone to watch your life if you're not living a godly life. If you're not keeping yourself pure and holy and humble, it's hard to say to somebody, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. But that's what Paul did with Timothy, remember? Timothy, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. That that speaks a lot about not only Paul's humility and that he knew he was under a Christ authority, but also about his seriousness, his maturity. And that's the third word we need. We need intentionality. We need accountability, but we need maturity. We need to stay focused on the mission with maturity. If you get sidetracked in sin, if you get off course in your faith, day to day, if you're not growing toward Christ's likeness, if you're not becoming more like Jesus, if you're not being more mature in your walk, it's going to be hard for you to bring someone else along in life. And that's what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to make disciples. And we can't make disciples if we're not disciples. And so we have to commit ourselves daily to be faithful and be mature in the Lord. I I love what 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 and 3 says Paul writes this, he said, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle or a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So he's saying simply that the people, that one, and remember last week we gave you this bookmark, you've got that one you're praying for, and hopefully you've tore this piece off here and you've got your one's name on it, and you're keeping that that card with you. By the way, there's more right here. If you didn't get one last week, you can grab one later. 
But hopefully this one that you're praying for, you're, you're also thinking hard about your daily life. How am I living in front of that one? And can I actually say to them, hey, I want to walk along with you and I want you to kind of do what I do and learn what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's a challenging thing. Philip could have let Nathaniel's remark get under his skin. Look at this again. Look at verse 46. When he said to Nathaniel, we found him, come and see. Uh, remember what he said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Fairview Alpha Baptist Church up there? Can anything good come out of being a Christian? Is there any reason why I need to follow Jesus? See, somebody might ask a question to you like that. That's what Nathaniel asked Philip. And you know what we could do? We could get offended by that. Don't, huh, I can't believe you'd ask a question like that. <laughs> Philip didn't get offended, did he? Uh, he knew Nathaniel. He knew Nathaniel didn't, was a skeptic and didn't really believe at this point. So he was patient with him. You know what that tells us? We've got to be patient. So that, needs, that means maturity, right? We've got to be mature because sometimes if we're trying to work with somebody and they don't know the Lord and they're living a whole different lifestyle than we are and we're trying hard to be a friend to them and show them the way that Christ has showed us. Listen, it takes patience with people. You've got to be the mature one. We've got to grow up. You know? so, uh, because we can't expect everybody else to, to be that way. And so that, that, I really see that's something amazing to me about Philip with his friend Nathaniel. And the great thing is that Nathaniel does come to faith in Christ. If you read the story, which we can't read the whole thing, but, but I'll just show you this. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, what does Rabbi mean? Teacher. So Nathaniel has come to believe at this point. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's what we want. We want these ones, our friends, to get to the place Nathaniel got to. And because they've heard the word of truth and they've seen it lived in our life, the word and the witness together, they have realized Jesus is real and I need him and he's the king and I want him to be my king. And that's what we're praying. That's what we're hoping that people are going to experience and they're going to have. But you know what? There's a lot of excuses sometimes we let get in the way. Did y'all ever let excuses get in your way? Uh, the Apostle Paul one time could see this with Timothy, so he tried to head it off at the past. Look at this verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your what? Timothy was a young buck, a young man, and he was probably worried that people were going to look down on him for being so young. Oh, you're too young. And Paul said, no, Timothy, you're not too young. Don't let anybody despise you because of your age. You be an example to the believers in speech and in conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, you give yourself over to the public reading and the exhortation and the teaching. Don't neglect the gift, the spiritual gift you've been given, he goes on to say. And then a little further on in the passage, he'll talk even more about this commitment to Christ. This commitment to be faithful no matter what. And don't give up. Uh, because he wanted him to, to not only mature in his faith and grow in his faith, but be confident in your faith. Don't let excuses uh, get in your way from reaching somebody. Sometimes we just get lazy spiritually. Sometimes we worry about... Uh, the questions people are going to ask, like, do all religions lead to God? You know, we, we say, well, I, I don't know how to answer that question, how, so I can't talk to this person. No, you, you can talk to them. You don't have to answer every question they have. You don't have to understand everything they believe. But you do need to tell them what you know and what you believe and tell them the truth. Sometimes we let busyness get in our way. We let a fear of rejection get in our way. We let a desire uh, to be somewhat tolerant to certain things get in our way. We, we lose the habit of... of of seeking someone intentionally and witnessing to them. We, we lack accountability. We don't have someone there to keep us accountable. So sometimes there's all these excuses that, 
might keep us from doing this, but in the end, there's only one thing we need to remember, and it's that command that Christ gave us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor, how? As ourselves. He said, if you'll do those two things, you will fulfill the law and the prophets. You'll, you'll keep God's word. You'll be able to follow him. So if we love him and we keep his commandments, that great commandment is that we need to make disciples. So who's your one? Who's your one? Who's the one you're looking after? You're praying for them? Are you praying for them this week? Are you intentionally preparing to spend a little time with them, to have a conversation with them? You're looking for those moments? Let's be ready for what God wants to do. Father, today we say thank you for your word, and we know it's true. Thank you for the encouragement we gain from your word and all that we do. Father, we do pray that uh, as we come to this time now of invitation, Lord, that you'd stir in our hearts and you'd move in us in a powerful way. Lord, the devil doesn't want us to move in our hearts. He doesn't want us to move closer to you in our minds. He doesn't want us to serve you in our week. But, Lord, we want to do that. So, Lord, we pray that even now you'd call us out and give us power and compassion for lost people. Father, if there's somebody here today who's stuck in sin and they need to be saved from sin... God, would you call them out even right now? Listen, if you're sitting here in the pew today and in your heart you say this, Brother Matt, I, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've ever been saved from my sin, and I want to be. I feel like that bird that's got its wings clipped, and I want to be who God made me to be. Look, if that's you, would you be willing right now to give your life to Him in prayer and surrender all of your life to Him? Would you be willing right now to pray this prayer of faith? The prayer that Miss Farrar led me to pray. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you forgive me for my sin and my sinfulness? Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you save me? Then would you say, tell him this? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And thank you, Lord, that you want to live in me. Right now, if you've if you prayed that prayer and you really sincerely meant it and you're serious about it, in just a moment, we're going to sing. Brother Caleb's going to lead us in singing. And as he leads us, if there's someone today that needs to give their life to the Lord, I'll stand at the front. I'll be right here. And as we stand and sing, if you have prayed that prayer and you're serious and you're ready to follow Jesus, would you come and meet me and take me by the hand and let me pray with you more and talk with you more about how to follow Christ? Maybe there are others that need to come and pray at the altar. Maybe there's that one, that friend they're praying for, they want to spend time in prayer for. You're welcome to do that too. But as God moves in this place, would you move with him and listen to him speak? Lord, do this work in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.